Welcome to a new episode of Ready to Launch, a joint series between Riada, a Wilson Center podcast, and the Straight Up Startup from Amman Jordan, hosted by Rajai Zahuri. I'm your co-host, Marissa Khurma, Director of the Middle East Program here at the Wilson Center. Today we go to Tunisia to talk to an accelerator, specifically Yahya Houdi, who is the Managing Director of Flat6 Labs a regional accelerator, as well as an investment fund that is headquarters in Egypt and has a branch in Tunisia and a new one that just opened up in Jordan. Yahya, thank you so much for joining us uh, today on Riyada and the Straight Up Startup. So um, we want to start with basically the story of Flat6 Labs. Um, it's an interesting story because it's a regional accelerator. Um, so what's the story? And then specifically, what is the story of, of Flatsex Labs in Tunisia? Thanks, Marisa. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast. Um, so Flatsex Labs uh, is a, uh, an accelerator and a VC fund that started in Cairo about 10 years ago. Uh, we uh, actually began almost exactly at the same time as the Egyptian revolution. Uh, wasn't necessarily linked though. Uh, the idea behind it was really to support uh, young uh, innovative entrepreneurs who are, who are building amazing things, but just didn't have uh, the, the means or the tools or the know-how or the expertise or the network to succeed. Um, the, the way that we have grown since then, uh, in the last 10 years, that we actually uh, supported more than 2,000 founders across the region. We have uh, seven offices uh, in, uh, across the MENA region, so our focus is on the Middle East and North Africa, uh, and we've invested in more than 300 companies. We now manage close to $100 million uh, of, um, in, of funds across the, the region that we invest at a very, very early stage. Uh, so our investment tickets are quite low. We start at $50,000 and we go, we typically don't go uh, beyond half a million dollars. Um, and so we, we decided to actually position ourselves uh, in a space where we're willing to invest with in, in entrepreneurs that are at the, you know, still at the beginning of their projects. Um, and so we're taking some risk, but at the same time, uh, you know, for those who are going to succeed, the idea is that we have equity in their capital uh, and we make returns in the very long run. In Tunisia, uh, we started almost five years ago uh, through a really great partnership uh, with uh, several stakeholders. Uh, one was a family office, uh, a bank, uh, the largest bank in Tunisia, uh, and a, uh, an American Tunisian uh, fund that was uh, here to actually help enterprises in general. Uh, we, we grew since then, so we now have a team of 15 people in the Tunis office, uh, and uh, we're it's a 10 million dollar fund, so it's a small portion of the, what we're managing across the region. Uh, but we've we're close to have uh, done 17 investments in the last uh, five years. We're in Tunisia. We're by far the most active investor in startups, um, and across the region. Uh, I think we're in the top two most active investors, uh, which is actually a good testament to just the, the machine that FlexSavs puts in place uh, in, in every country to really kind of try to push and to move the needle uh, towards more innovation and more support for early stage entrepreneurs. 
So that that's really fascinating. And I love the fact that um, Flat6 Labs um, is regional uh, because clearly there is a need and um, across the region, as you said. Um, but it seems that there was a success story in Cairo that others wanted to replicate elsewhere. And you um, started with Flat6 Labs from the beginning. So how did you get into this? Um, what was your sort of inspiration and what was the pull factor to come in and say, I really want to do this? And this sounds like an exciting venture. So I've always been interested in uh, supporting youth from my region. I'm originally Lebanese. Um, and so I've, I've worked on the youth employment side. Uh, I've worked on more on the NGO side. And uh, a few years ago, I think about a decade ago, I actually joined a startup in Jordan. Um, and I learned a lot in the two years that I was there. Uh, we, we started with just two people um, and the, the startup grew. Uh, it didn't exit in the end, but it was just... I think it gave me a lot of the, the right pointers into the types of challenges that entrepreneurs have to go through when they're managing a startup in the Middle East and in any emerging markets, actually. Um, and so I actually, I took that know-how and with, with the, the will of trying to uh, help youth uh, across the region. Um, and I had an opportunity to actually come into Tunisia and open the office here. Um, the, it was quite difficult at first because it's a, it's an, well, there was not much of an eco, a startup ecosystem at first. And so we really had to work on educating um, the lawyers, had to educate other investment funds, uh, how to find how, what better ways to work together. Uh, we had to actually find the entrepreneurs. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily easy to find at the beginning. Things are very different now, five years later in the country. A lot of things have happened. So you had to go out and seek them out, and now they're coming to you because you've established um, your place in the ecosystem. Yes. So, for example, our last uh, acceleration cycle, uh, we had uh, close to 500 applications uh, for uh, less than 10 spots. And so it's, we're, we're at less than 2% acceptance rate, which is, uh, you know, in, in some ways... Uh, it's a great testament to the work we're doing, but in some ways also a little bit frustrating because you would love to actually help more. And so we actually worked on building other programs that are not necessarily investment uh, linked, but they're actually, uh, you know, focused on different themes with the support of donors, for example, um, that allow us to actually uh, support a much wider range of entrepreneurs in the last two years. No, that's really fascinating. I think what really struck me in your introduction about Flat Six Labs in Tunisia and how it started was that um, there was uh, basically investment coming in from a Tunisian-American fund, and that highlights the role of diaspora networks and diaspora communities. Um, have you seen more funding come in from other diaspora communities or Tunisian, of course, in particular from Europe, for example, or other parts of um, the Arab world? Yeah, so, so particularly in, from Europe, uh, I mean, so a large portion of the Tunisian diaspora is uh, based in France, Italy, and Germany. Um, and uh, so the way it's actually evolved over the last few years is that I would say five years ago, we used to see you know, a few business angels here and there. Um, when you look at it now, you actually have diaspora, diaspora uh, members of the diaspora who are actually coming back to Tunis 
and uh, creating their own investment funds with the money that they have, and they're pooling it with other JS money as well. So things have actually quite changed quite a bit. They're structuring their approach better. Uh, I think it's a good signal for the ecosystem where they they think that it's it's now ripe to you know to really set up processes rather than just being an ad hoc process of oh hey I like this entrepreneur I want to uh, give him a bit of money. Um, so there's the one thing that's still missing a little bit is really. Uh, so you know, so the Startup Act, which is a revolutionary uh, law that uh, was put in place three to four years ago, uh, really you know kind of put the emphasis on the entrepreneurs. But we need uh, kind of a diaspora, diaspora act that actually allows um, you know people from the diaspora and others as well to act, to invest in Tunisia in a maybe like easier, smoother, more seamless way. Because right now, and that's what we're we're seeing is that. When you have a member of Jasper or any business angel coming from abroad, when they're considering an investment in Tunisia, uh, unfortunately, it's because of the challenges involved. Uh, a lot of times they decide to pass on the investment opportunity and to invest somewhere else, just because other places have a much more robust and much easier investment process put in place almost exclusively by governments. Yeah, and I want to get back to that later, but I think Rajai is keen on building on a few of your points. Over to you, Rajai. Yes, yes. Hi, Yahya. How are you? Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rajai. And uh, I want to say congratulations to Flat uh, Six Labs on on their um, 10 year anniversary, uh, 2011 till 2021, and now uh, onto their 11th. So, congratulations. Thank you. Um, so, Yahya, you said, that you had like 500 application. Uh, so tell us, um, like, how does the accelerator in the region or the accelerators in the region fit into the larger ecosystem? Uh, like you face a lot of challenges bringing, uh, bringing startups uh, to you. And now, you know, it's like, it's like overflowing with like applications and even like, um, even like other accelerators and other people who want to invest, even like even like with like angel investments. So, um, can you tell us uh, more about that and and that journey? Sure. So, accelerators have a bit of a weird place in their ecosystem because most accelerators also do investment. Um, so, they're different from traditional venture capital funds, where uh, you know it's a fund just gives money, takes equity, and and that. Usually, the the end of the relationship. There's you know, obviously board meetings, etc. But there isn't much of a support component. And then you have incubators who typically take an an entrepreneur with an idea and incubate the idea to make it a, a viable prototype. And we kind of come in, in the middle where um, we're here to take uh, somebody with a proof of concept. So somebody who either has tested a prototype with a client or at least has actually has a working prototype uh, and accelerate their entry into the market, hence the name acceleration. Um, but we totally understand that this is not possible without uh, some funding, which is why we actually have, most accelerators are actually uh, set up to work alongside an investment fund uh, where you actually have the, a support component. So usually it's a four to six month program that's pretty intensive uh, and an investment. And so the, the, the reason why it's there, you know, accelerators are sometimes misunderstood is because from the, um, you know, from the support side, it, when you invest in someone, it also changes a little bit of the dynamic of the support. It's not a charity. We're here uh, to make financial returns for our investors. 
but we're still there for emotional support, technical support, business support, etc. So it's a it's a bond that's pretty close, but yet there's this financial transactions happening. Uh, on the flip side, investors also sometimes, especially traditional investors, look at us a little bit weird because you know we we value companies not uh, at what they're worth today, but what the, their potential uh, will be tomorrow. And so you know, setting a valuation of let's say a million dollars for a company that just has a prototype without clients sometimes may sound a little bit weird uh, or inflated for an investor. Um, but the reality is that, uh, and we are seeing it everywhere, startup valuations can actually grow very, very quickly. And so you kind of have to incentivize um, the entrepreneurs to, to take an investment that makes sense for them and that actually reflects the true potential of their company. Um, so that's, that, that, that's the way... That you know, accelerators have actually been trying to fit in that ecosystem of investors and incubators, and we're somewhere in the middle to try to cover a link uh, between these two worlds. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 that's the beauty of of accelerators in general. Like they see the future of a startup, and they kind of uh, they take the risk into investing uh, on it. So so that's really interesting, and and can and can you know can leverage a lot of uh, tools that can be very helpful towards the economy. And I want to ask you here, Yahya, specifically, can you um, like like on a personal level, like have you ever experienced a startup, uh, or like you've seen a startup like at a very early stage, and and they like progressed into another level and another stages and you know maybe uh, opened uh, another uh, branches in another countries can you let us more of an example that you have uh, come across sure honestly we have we have several um you know so so different startups require uh, you know different types of support um for example we uh, had accelerated a startup a few years ago called uh, Depshi uh, that is an e-commerce startup where we, you know, from the point where they joined the acceleration to a year later, they had done a hundred times uh, their sales transactions uh, in just one year. Uh, so this is actually, you know, I think it's a testament to all the support that we actually brought because the entrepreneur already had a community around it. Uh, it just we were able to convert that community into uh, clients and into people who are, uh, um, you know, who, who trust that platform enough to uh, start making transactions on it. Um, other examples um, include, for example, um, you know, recently uh, we had a, an entrepreneur who was actually quite advanced and who already had investors kind of circling around uh, the, the startup, but who hadn't actually decided to pull the trigger on the investment. And they just needed uh, you know, like a, an institutional investor like, like us to do, take the first jump um, and kind of put a stamp of approval of a fund on that startup, put the right governance uh, system in place um, in order to make it investable and investment ready. And from that point onwards, every single one of the other investors aligned and decided to invest. And so sometimes it doesn't actually require much. It's, it's I mean, investment is all about trust. So because we're, the, we're part of the very few who decided to take the risk uh, in uh, you know, investing first and investing alone, uh, it actually makes us, uh, how do you say, like a bit of a, like a, a cobaye in, in, in French, but basically it, it makes us the, you know, kind of the, the, the first early adopter of that startup, so to speak, in order to encourage other investors to come in and to trust that startup and that entrepreneur who is leading it. Um, I'm going to step in here, Yahya, because there are a few things that I want to um, bring back to the discussion. Um, 
we've heard you talk about taking risks. You just mentioned the trust factor. Um, and then in the beginning, you mentioned how raw um, or almost non-existent the ecosystem was in Tunisia. Um, and that's why there, there was this uh, startup act that was passed in parliament a few uh, years ago. And it seems that there is significant progress made, but then COVID-19 hit and it has affected of course, economies worldwide. And I know in Tunisia, the unemployment rate has also increased and that has always been a point of contention, particularly, you know, with, with the government um, post all the uh, democratic transitional work that, the, that um, various stakeholders have been working on in Tunisia. So um, where is the Startup Act today? You know, is it too soon to tell if it's really working? And uh, what else do you think the government needs to do in order to unlock potential, basically for more entrepreneurs and for the ecosystem to be strengthened? So those are great questions. I mean, so the Startup Act was, you know, as I had mentioned a bit earlier, really a, um, a game changer for Tunisia. And actually, um, several other African countries uh, followed suit. Uh, and so, for example, I think Senegal now has its own startup act. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Nigeria as well is trying to draft or is in the final phase of drafting their own. Um, and so the, the idea is that this regulatory framework did two things. First, it actually encouraged people internally, domestically, to, uh, to create a startup because it gets, uh, you know, several advantages. Um, some of which are fiscal, some of which are financial, and some of which are just, very honestly, it's a, it's a picture with the Minister of ICT. And that's actually a huge thing. Um, so you have, so suddenly you're, you're going from just being a, a normal entrepreneur with a, with a small company to somebody who's, you know, just slightly different. So that actually kind of created a, like a renewed energy in the, in the country. Mm -hmm. But five or six years after the Tunisian uh, revolution, and so that's where... You know, uh, you know that, that we just needed that kind of like boost of energy in in the country. Outside was a whole different uh, ball game. So where the startup act actually put a huge spotlight on Tunisia, uh, and I still remember, you know, the first few years when I was going around the region talking about uh, investments in Tunisia. Most VC funds, you know, honestly didn't really, you know, didn't really think there was anything in Tunisia other than beaches. Uh, so. As, as opposed to a few years ago, after Startup Act, people, are, whenever I speak about Tunisia, oh, <coughs> sorry, oh yes, didn't you guys have uh, the Startup Act? Yes, I, you know, your, your ecosystem is booming, etc. So it had like this big kind of branding boost um, that uh, was quite helpful in not only bringing, you know, more tech support to the country, but also funding uh, and from donors and from investors as well. And so it was actually, you know, that's something that kind of like created a bit of a like an impetus for the government to continue and to actually create after the startup act to create the fund of funds called ANAVA. And it's a hundred million dollar fund that is responsible for creating sub funds. And so actually, you know, creating many more, uh, you know, little investment funds that would actually invest in startups where this, this fund is actually about to start dispersing uh, its first funds, you know, I think this quarter, it took a while. Uh, but we're finally there. And this is going to make a huge difference in how, uh, you know, the funding is actually distributed in the country. Uh, to be honest, we felt 
a bit lonely. So just a small metric, yeah. 90% of the investors in our own startups, in our portfolio in Tunisia, are foreigners. So they're you know, funds based abroad. Uh, and 10% are local, as opposed to every single other country where Flesk Labs operates, where the ratio is exactly the opposite. You have 90% local funds who are investing with you, which makes sense, um, but you have only 10% uh, foreigners. And so we're hoping that this is going to completely change in the next year or two. We're going to have a lot more local investors who are who have the same mindset that, uh, as us, uh, you know, like working in venture capital to really support innovative entities and innovative of enterprises. Um, last but not least, I, um, you know, one big indicator of the growth of the system has been the, you know, kind of like the, the, the largest fundraisers. So it's, it's a bit of a vanity metric, but, um, you know, the way, you know, we've seen it. So it, back in 2020, so two years ago, uh, the largest fundraise ever in Tunisia was Next Protein, an agri-tech startup that had raised close to $10 million. The, the next year, uh, it was Expensia, which had raised $20 million. And this year, just a, a month ago, we have InstaDeep that actually raised $100 million. So Wow, that's a big jump. It's a, it's a very big jump. And that's actually why we're seeing this exponential increase in the maximum amount raised by a startup. doesn't mean we have you know, like a, a dozen of them, uh, but it's still a... An indicator that things are happening and things are actually moving, um, and we're hoping that you know the the next uh, year or two we'll see the first unicorn in Tunisia. And um, congratulations! I mean, yes, it's a vanity metric, but it's very impressive. And whatever it takes, um, I guess, to get more people on board, um, that's really uh, fascinating. I want to go back to the government's role. If if there's one thing you think the government should do. Now, I mean, it's already done quite a bit. Um, although when we talk to some um, entrepreneurs across the region, there's always more, of course. So what is the one thing you want to see the government in Tunisia do? So it's honestly, it's a good question. Um, the, the, the problem in Tunisia is that the government, you know, has other priorities right now. Uh, you know, as you were saying, you know, unemployment is skyrocketing. Prices of you know everyday goods are uh, you know are increasing. They're getting very expensive. Um, there's a lot of political instability, etc. And so I you know I personally, even though I, I would love to you know to tell them that they should do more, uh, in a way I also want to be realistic and uh, to to say that well I understand if you know over the next year or two this may be a, a difficult ask. However, if we don't have any other problems in Tunisia. Uh, I think the, the government should really focus on really facilitating investment from abroad. I mean, so just to... to In terms to, of uh, from the legislative side, you mean? Yes, absolutely. And so, so for example, you know, our main role at Flesk Labs in Tunisia is to really entice other investors to come into the country and invest in Tunisian startups, uh, whether they're from our portfolio or not. Uh, and we sometimes... And so when, when you come in invest in Tunisia, you have to, as a foreigner, you have to go through the central bank. There's a lot of processes. And so several times we've actually told, uh, you know, other, other funds who technically are competitors to us, but we, we make our uh, legal, you know, our legal team available to them uh, in order to help them with the, the country. We put them in touch with the central bank. We explain the process, processes, etc., because we actually want them to come in and uh, to, to, to make transactions here. Uh, and so we actually have several, you know, regional investment funds 
who for the who have invested for the first time in Tunisia through our portfolio. So the, their first investment was a startup that uh, we had invested in, but then actually started investing. You know, basically they, they came in and they're like, oh, this is actually not bad. You know, there's there's something to be done here, and so they actually continued investing uh, in other startups that are not related to our portfolio. So and for me, this is a, a big testament of you know kind of try to really work hard to bring somebody in, um, but to you know, to, to make sure that there are other opportunities out there for them. And the reason why I'm saying this is because typically this role should be done by the government. You know, a lot of uh, right. India... Uh, Attracting investments, exactly, through, the, through an investment board of some sort, yeah. Exactly. And so sometimes we, we find ourselves having to, uh, us and others, you know, I'm not, uh, this is not a classic thing, but the private sector uh, and donors find, our, find themselves in a position where uh, you really have to kind of do much more than what their job description, um, you know, tells them that they should should be doing, just because you know the the government does have other priorities in the country. Yeah, Rajai. Absolutely. So this is amazing. Now I'm, I'm, I want to uh, shift from governments uh, towards youth. I want to sh- uh, shed light on it. So as as you said, Yahya, um, like you liked working with youth, and and you know you like how you know, how, how they want to drive change. And I want to ask you about that. So, you know, more, um, like more than half of the population in Tunisia are youth that are below the age of 29. And, you know, the similarities between the Tunisian youth and the Jordanian youth are um, uh, how they're using and utilizing entrepreneurship towards driving uh, change and, you know, making, you know, their lives better off even more. And so um, can you tell us more, how do you see that coming to life and what are the needed skills for youth to drive that change? So it's a great question. Um, If you compare the the youth in Jordan and Tunisia, uh, in in Tunisia, there's this huge kind of bottom-up approach that was uh, created uh, with the revolution uh, where youth have taken, taken it upon themselves to make change. That doesn't really require much skills honestly it just requires a lot of anger uh, but um, what, one thing I've actually noticed in Tunisia which I haven't seen in many other countries across the, the region is the incredible like decentralized uh, system of education uh, you know p- people say that it's a remnant of the Bourguiba era where literally you go to the you know the tertiary or uh, you know even smaller town and you find a university with great IT talent, a lot of women being educated in, you know, in uh, artificial intelligence, um, in robotics, in uh, mechatronics, etc. And uh, there's, I mean, seeing seeing this actually, you know, gives a lot of hope to the country because it's no longer necessarily a, a skills issue, uh, and it becomes much more a um, an access and support issue. So one of the the you know one of the problems that uh, I think the country has is that you have a huge brain drain uh, of uh, engineers, doctors, um, you know, people who work in IT, all moving to Europe. Uh, and so we've been actually, we've been trying to work with European entities to, to tell them not to consider Tunisia as a talent pool, but instead to consider it as an investment opportunity. Of course, the, the answer is uh, from the private sector, it's actually much cheaper to you know, to, to, to acquire somebody Import, to, actually, yeah, of course. You know, to, to buy a whole company. Um, now, the, the one thing that we're, we've been trying 
to to build. So we we decided to actually capitalize on on you know on, on this uh, on the fact that you have a lot of decentralized, highly educated youth across the country. Not necessarily to create other Flask Labs offices across the country because that's not how our model does. But we are actually working on this program called Ignite Tunisia, where we're supporting and we're building the capacity of other incubators and accelerators across the across the country. Um, and the, the aim, so we've, we've supported 12 already. The aim is to get to 20 by the end of this year. Uh, and we, from this, we're actually seeing that there's different challenges, most of them you know, related to funding, but also related to just business acumen. So a lot of people are extremely tech savvy. They just don't know how to you know, present their idea in a very simple you know, business way. Uh, and they don't necessarily know how to manage people either. And so those are the things that we try to work on to really kind of, you know, to, to bring up and to upskill them in order for them to become better entrepreneurs who can scale up their companies. So basically, yeah, it's primarily a focus on, you know, what, what's referred to as soft skills, or I like to call them essential skills. And, um, and then you're, you're training the trainers so that they are able to do this across the country. Um, which seems like a, a sustainable model. Um, have other parts that have not received this kind of support, are they coming to you to say, hey, we, we want the same thing in this town, for example? Yes, we've had that several times. And you know, honestly, most of the time, we, we don't have any issue sitting down with them, you know, for example, structuring uh, their, their programs with them, you know, training their teams, because at, at the end of the day, uh, honestly, you know whether you know, for example, these these big um, you know fundraisers are happening, are startups that are you know that by the time we came into the country, we were already uh, you know too advanced to enter Flask Labs. They were they were you know kind of higher levels already. But you know even 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 though so even though there's no not no immediate returns for us, the fact that they're actually creating a huge buzz around the ecosystem. Other than the pride factor for us is also the, the fact that there will, you know, there will inherently be uh, side effects, positive side effects for us and for a lot of other actors just from the success of this one uh, entity. And so uh, the idea here is, you know, for us and for our team, we try to help and we try to collaborate as much as possible uh, with all entities across the ecosystem here. Just because it, it's, it's too small of a country and too small of an ecosystem to actually, you know, to be competitive. So we, we've definitely had a lot of requests and um, as much as we, you know, as uh, whenever we are able to, we always try to help support them in what they're doing. Fantastic. Um, I mean, you've taken us on um, a very rich tour of the ecosystem uh, from, you know, your perspective as, as Flat Six Labs. And again, congratulations on everything that um, you're doing. I think we're going to ask you now to share uh, the what we called before you launch words of wisdom. Um, if you were to have um, advice to budding entrepreneurs or even startups who want to apply for, um, you know, funding and mentorship with Flat Six Labs Tunisia, what do you have to say to them? Um, honestly, my primary advice would be don't keep it a secret. You know, to, you know, mention your project and talk about your project to every single person that you meet. Um, it actually reminds me of, you know, when, when I was with a startup in Jordan and we met with an investor, um, you know, I had asked him to sign a non-disclosure agreement with us. And he basically kicked me out of his office. 
Um, several years later, um, you know, we we eventually did the investment. But I asked him, you know, well, out of curiosity, you know, that when when I first met you, why did you do that? And he basically told me that if uh, you know if you're putting so much emphasis on your idea and you want to protect it so much, uh, that means you're not focusing on the right things and primarily, which is execution. Um, and this is actually the reason why you know I, I told you to get out of my office. And so I don't. You know, I don't kick people out of my office here, but um, <laughs> every time that somebody says, oh, you know, it's a, it's a secret. I don't know if I should talk about it. You know, I, I tell them, like, honestly, if, you know, if that's, you know, you should really focus on the execution more, more than anything else. And when they say, well, you know, but I'm afraid that somebody's going to steal it, it's very possible that somebody will. And if they will, that means you're onto something because it's an interesting market to be in. Then your strength should be in, in just executing faster and innovating in a better way than, than everybody else. Uh, so that's my my one advice would really be don't keep it a secret and share with uh, as many people as you want because you never know who's the person who would actually be able to either join you, help you, fund you, and really open doors for you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, no more secrets. I like that. Uh, um, thank you so much, Yahya, for joining us, uh, for all of your insight um, and um, all the work that you're doing um, in Tunisia. And uh, we hope to keep in touch and continue this, this discussion, um, hopefully in person and um, more opportunities perhaps to also interview some of these startups that have um, gone through uh, Flat Six Labs. So thank you. Thank you and Rajay and the whole team. Thanks a lot. Have a great thank day. Thank you, Yahya. Thank you. Thank you so much. This podcast is funded by a grant from the United States Department of State. The opinions, findings, and conclusions of this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Department of State.